0: Please stand, if you are able, for a reading from God's holy word. Today's scripture reading is from Exodus 20, verse 15. Please read the verse with me. You shall not steal. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well good morning all, welcome to Grace Sacramento, welcome to those of you who are joining us online, um, welcome to visitors, I know uh, that we have some, some first time visitors here in the tent, as well uh, as some are, are family members and well wishers for grads, and so we're so happy that you could be w- with us this morning. My name is Brad, I'm one of the, the pastors here at Grace, we're glad to have you. And I'm just going to add one more uh, note to all of the goings-on with kids and kids' ministry, and that is, if if you didn't see on your way in, there's a a sign-up table for Vacation Bible School, which is a first time ever for Grace Sacramento. There's going to be a party in this tent three days uh, of the last week of June, and we're excited uh, for your kids to join us as well. uh, There are like hand out invitation postcards and we'd welcome you whether you have kids, whether you don't have kids, whether you know any kids that you'd like to give one of those postcards to. We'd love to have them here in the tent on those days. And uh, we'd love to have you if you're available to come and and, uh, play with us. We need lots of volunteers, so um, consider it. It's going to be a good time. The theme is come and follow Jesus. Okay, um, the eighth word. Uh, We've been in this series we're calling 10 Words to Live By, looking at the Ten Commandments, this passage in Exodus chapter 20. And this morning, the eighth word, verse 15, you shall not steal. Uh, Last summer, my family and I went on an extended vacation, and uh, when we got back, I realized that on my regular commute between here and home, that while we were gone, they had bulldozed this rundown house that li- that's right next to the railroad tracks and had already begun uh, construction on something that was gonna be immense. They were grading the land and, and pouring cement. And now, nearly a year later, they're still building walls and security gates and, uh, and other, uh, other ramparts for a self-storage facility. Right, it's, one, it, it's, it's this massive protective fortress for people's stuff. And when it's finished, uh, when this one is finished, there will be no less than four self-storage facilities between my house and the church. I passed four of them. We got lots of stuff. More than we can cram into our houses, and so we rent space to cram it into. And then we pay people to protect it so that nobody can take it. After all, isn't that what the Bible says? You shall not steal. And sometimes it makes me wonder if that isn't what it means to be American. Uh, The pursuit of life, liberty, and lots of stuff. We recoil at the descriptions, I think, sometimes of early Christians. Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45, describing the first church says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as all had need. Wait, did the people in the first church, they, they didn't have their own stuff? Did the church take their stuff? Is that what church is supposed to do? Does God want us to be communists? This morning, as we consider the eighth word, uh, this word that uh, God says we can find life in, the eighth word to live by, you shall not steal. I think first I want to consider what does the Bible say about property, the stuff that we own, so that we can, so uh, we'll ask uh, these questions, uh, the Bible and property, why we take and Jesus, and giving. Uh, try to understand what the Bible says about property so we can understand what it says we're doing when we try to take other people's stuff. So first, uh, the Bible and property. God cares about stuff. God made stuff. He made all the stuff. In Genesis 1:31, it says, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. The Old Testament goes on in the passages after the one we're reading this morning in Exodus 20 to spill a lot of ink in respect for rules about private property, the stuff that people own. God's people in the Old Testament were to care for and respect the belongings of other people. Don't take someone's millstone as a pledge because if you take their millstone as a pledge for a debt, then they can't grind grain and make bread, and so they can't feed themselves. What happens if you damage someone else's property or accidentally injure someone or kill someone or their livestock? The Old Testament has a lot to say about what needs to happen between families and individuals. But probably the way the Old Testament talks about the promised land is most helpful for us to understand a biblical perspective on stuff. God promised a nation of slaves, the Israelites who had just been rescued from slavery in Egypt. He promised a people who had nothing, a land to possess as their own. And it was a land that belonged to the Lord, Uh, But every member of his people was going to be promised that they would inherit a portion. Every member of God's people would get an inheritance portion of that promised land. A portion to steward and to develop, it says, to, to, to grow figs and grapes and to bring about a harvest and pasture their flocks and to feed their family and to pass their inheritance on to their children. In a lot of ways, it was a reinstatement of God's original charge to humanity. Genesis 1, 28 and following, uh, God says to Adam and Eve, to the people he's created in his image, he says, I have given you every plant, every beast, everything I have made, be fruitful and multiply, subdue and have dominion over my creation. So property, particularly the promised land, was very important in the Old Testament. It was was a particularly grievous thing when somebody moved a boundary stone because that was saying, I have more and you have less. It was clearly taking for yourself what God had promised to someone else and to their family. So it shouldn't be lost on us as we're thinking about what the Bible says about property. It shouldn't be lost on us that Jesus's parables about property and possession have a similar tone. A landowner who trusts the upkeep of his vineyard to some tenants in Matthew 21. A master who leaves money in the care of his servants and expects a return in in Matthew 25. So the Bible is clear that when it comes to stuff, property that people own, first, everything is God's. He made all the stuff. He owns the stuff. The Psalms, say, the Psalms say God owns the, the cattle on a thousand hills. Everything is his. He doesn't need anything from you. But second, that personal property and stewardship of what God gives us is a gift from God. From the very beginning, God, pe- God gave people possession of stuff, land, livestock, and yes, when we figured it out, even money. And he told us to expect that godly stewardship would yield an increase. People who plowed and sowed the ground that God gave them would not go hungry. And the servants who invested talents that they were given would see a return as they sought both investment and godliness. So God uh, cares about stuff. That's what the Bible says. So why do we take? Why do we take? Other people's stuff. Luke 15, Jesus tells a parable about a younger son who demands his inheritance while his father is still alive. The prodigal son, as we often call him, essentially says to his father, I wish you were dead. And then he takes what he thinks will be his if, in fact, his father were to die. It's not so different from an Old Testament story, the story of Jacob in the Old Testament, where A son famously disguises himself as his older brother and sneaks into his ailing and blind father and steals his brother's inheritance and the blessing that was intended for the firstborn in Genesis 27. Both are stories of a son stealing from a father something that a father had already promised to give that son in one way or another. And that's how the Bible understands stealing. So why do we do it? Before we go any further, I think we should make sure that we include ourselves in this, right? We can all think, and we're all thinking of somebody right now, it's like, well, at least I'm not a thief like that, right? The boss who stole all of those hours and those wages from us. A friend who never paid us back. And we can think of what we define as real stealing, the kind of thing that if you get caught, you get arrested and you do time. And that helps us to justify the fact that uh, when we expense more than we should on the business card, that's not really stealing. When we return stuff after using it for six months and get the money back, it's not really stealing. Or when our neighbor's tools are still in our garage six months later because, hey, he never asked for them back. It's not the same thing, or is it? We take stuff, take other people's stuff. So why do we do it? Well, when we do it, it says something about what we believe. We are saying something about uh, who we think God is when we take stuff, and we're saying something about what we believe about other people. Author Jen Wilkin, uh, who we keep uh, admitting we stole uh, the whole title of our sermon series from, Ten Words to Live By. Jen Wilkin says this. He says, she says, Why is it that when people stay in a hotel, they not only sometimes take the shampoo and the lotion, but some of us take a towel, maybe a robe. Apparently, people take the sheets off of the bed in the hotel and take them with them. But when you stay at your auntie's house, you wouldn't dream of sticking one of her towels in your suitcase and take it with you. Well, she says, it's partly because Hotels are big conglomerates that don't have feelings or faces. A hotel is an unseen entity. An auntie has a face and a name and maybe a smell. And when you take her towel, you hurt her. And if, you're perse- if, you're, if your perception of God is some sort of far-off, impersonal, unseen entity, uninvolved in life, then you are less likely to perceive that you hurt him when you take stuff. You're less likely to perceive uh, that anyone gets hurt if he is unseen. And maybe if he's unseen, if I can't see him, maybe he doesn't see me either. Like a big corporate hotel chain or maybe like a son who sneaks into a ailing blind father and takes an inheritance. When we stay at Auntie's house, we not only don't steal her towels, but some of us, anyway, probably strip the sheets from the bed and take the towels and bring them to the laundry. Some of us uh, will even start the load because we know her and because we're known by her, and there's a relationship there. And so we take care of her stuff because taking care of her stuff is taking care of her and loving her. And so our theft uh, reveals how we feel about how close God is and how personal God is if all of this stuff is his, but it doesn't matter if we take stuff if nobody gets hurt. But our theft not only reveals our mistaken belief that God is far off and uninvolved, but it also reveals our unbelief that he is good and that he's generous. If you don't trust your parents, right, or if you don't trust the system, or if you don't believe that God really wants to provide for you then you'll take what you're afraid they're not going to give you. You'll, you'll try to take what you're afraid you won't get if you don't take matters into your own hands and that's the story behind the first theft in the scripture. Eve takes fruit in the garden because she's become convinced that God is keeping something good from her and she's got to take it herself. So I say something about God when I take stuff, but when I steal from you or hoard more than my fair share, I say something about you as well. I say something about your humanity. You see, in the promised land, God demonstrated his design by providing an inheritance, a portion of his good gift for every tribe. And every family, and every individual, God said, I have enough and I'm going to provide this much for you and your family. A portion on which that individual and that family could bear his image. We've talked about how his image is his signature. This I created and I gave to this image bearer and this to this image bearer. That they would uh, steward it and be fruitful and multiply and bring forth from it a, a, a return. And so uh, that's what it means to be human, all right? To bear God's image, to be fruitful, to multiply, to steward his creation. And so when I take yours, I say that I think you're less than. I say I think I deserve more than you deserve. I, I'm saying that I think you are less of a steward or less of uh, an image bearer than me. Less human than God says that you are. Less deserving of your portion. When I move the boundary marker, I say, I believe people like me deserve more and people like you deserve less. And so we make deep theological statements when we take. So Jesus and giving. I had the privilege uh, this p- uh, two days ago, early Friday morning, 6.45 a.m. actually, to join uh, the Zitzman family for Sierra Zitzman's adoption proceedings. <laughs> yeah, That's a clap line. Congratulations, Sierra. I, I promised her I would say it like this, Sierra Zitzman's adoption because she has a new name. Um, 6.45 in the morning because it was a Zoom call from Alabama. The judge and the whole proceeding was in Alabama. Super wonderful and fun. And one of the things that the judge said to her parents has stuck with me. So we're on the Zoom call and the judge addresses Luke and Mandy directly. And he says to them, if you have not already, you need to revisit your last will and testimony. If you haven't written a will, you need to write one. And if you have written one, you need to revisit it because Sierra is now your daughter. And therefore, she is your heir. She is a legal heir of your estate along with the rest of your kids. An heir of the vast Zitzman fortune, right? (laughs) My friends... This is the truth of what it means to follow Jesus. Romans 8, 16, and 17 says that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. Children, and if children, then heirs. Heirs with God and fellow heirs with Christ. To trust Jesus is to become adopted as a child of God to whom he has already promised a birthright. The vast imperishable inheritance of all that it is God's. And I'll remind you that at the beginning of the sermon, I said, what is God's? All the stuff. He made it all. He has promised his children a birthright, a vast imperishable inheritance being stored up for us more than we could imagine and certainly more than we deserve. And when we take from other people, we're stealing something that is far less than the Father has already promised to give us. And yet we're thieves. We take stuff. We still do it. So what should we do when we, we realize that we take? A few reflections. First, repent. Cry out to Jesus for forgiveness. Yes, Cry out and confess and ask Jesus for forgiveness for stealing Internet. But more importantly, ask for forgiveness for ignoring God and doing so and thinking that he's not present. Ask for forgiveness uh, for failing to trust that he'll provide everything that you need. And certainly ask for forgiveness uh, for treating your neighbor who pays for Wi-Fi like they deserve less than you do for taking it. I think that's the kind of epiphany that Zacchaeus had in the New Testament. This tax collector who met Jesus face to face. Remember after his encounter with Jesus, he realized he was forgiven. And Luke chapter 10 says, he cried out, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone, anything, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus says, today salvation is has come to this house not because generosity earned salvation but because understanding Jesus's salvation made Zacchaeus generous his hoarding his swindling was over because he understood that in Jesus God came, here, came near god has a face god had uh, he, he was he was personal he was someone who had given him everything and for and to whom he could care for stuff as a way to uh, to show his love for God. God came near, and Zacchaeus realized that our lies and our theft and our destruction hurt him. In fact, it's our sin, right? It's our theft that literally nailed Christ to the cross. But he came near not to take back from us what was rightfully his but to give us what we don't deserve. Forgiveness and restoration as heirs of the king. God is not a a taker, but he's a provider. And to understand that transforms your heart. And you start to understand that you are not an end point for stuff. You're not a gathering point for all the good stuff to, to hoard and keep. You're no longer an endpoint, but simply a distribution center. You're a depot designed for shipping and handling of God's good things to care for other people and for his creation. That's stewardship. And it may start small. In fact, probably for most most of us, it needs to start small. We can't leap into the deep end, but rethinking those little things like taking back the extra change when the teller messes up, or returning that stapler or three to the office. (laughs) It may seem like nothing at all, right? Nobody's missing it, but it's actually doing two things. Uh, First, it's practice. You practice stealing little things, and it doesn't seem to matter. Then you condition your heart to become callous to bigger and bigger embezzlements and theft and You don't know where that road ends. And so you practice the other direction. But more importantly, Jesus says in a parable in Luke chapter 16, the one who is faithful in little will also be faithful in much. So when I bring the stapler back to the office, I'm saying, Lord, I want to be trusted in great things. I want to be trusted with great things in your kingdom. I I want to I be a good steward of this stapler so that you'll trust me with more. I want to be a distribution center for your grace and for your provision in the world. I want to be there. I want you to give me the opportunity to be there when you save people. I want to get to be there when you provide for people. I want to get a chance to be present when you transform people's lives like you've transformed mine when they understand the gospel. Friends, this is the the message of the gospel. Jesus had a banquet. Jesus had a table at the banquet of God. He sat at the right hand of the Father. And yet the scripture tells us that he who is rich became poor uh, so that we might become rich.